0: Queen Lucia by E. F. Benson, read for by Martin Clifton. Chapter X One morning, about the middle of October, Lucia was seated at breakfast and frowning over a note she had just received. It began without any formality and was written in pencil. Do look in about half past nine on Saturday and be silly for an hour or two. We'll play games and dance, shall we? Bring your husband, of course, and don't bother to reply. O.B. An invitation, she said icily as she passed it to her husband. Rather short notice. We're not doing anything, are we? he asked. Peppino was a little imperceptive sometimes. No, it wasn't that I meant, she said, but there's a little more informality about it than one would expect. Probably it's an informal party, said he. It certainly seems most informal. I am not accustomed to being asked quite like that. Peppino began to be aware of the true nature of the situation. I see what you mean, Cara, he said. So don't let us go, then she will take the hint perhaps. Lucia thought this over for a moment and found that she rather wanted to go, but a certain resentment that had been slowly accumulating in her mind for some days past began to leak out first before she consented to overlook Olga's informality. It is a fortnight since I called on her, she said, and she has not even returned the call. I dare say they behave like that in London in certain circles, but I don't know that London is any better for it. She has been away twice since she came, said Peppino. She has hardly been here for a couple of days together yet. I may be wrong, said Lucia. No doubt I am wrong. But I should have thought that she might have spared half an hour out of these days by returning my call. However, she thought not. Peppino suddenly recollected a thrilling piece of news which, most unaccountably, he had forgotten to tell Lucia. Dear me, something slipped my memory, he said. I met Mrs. Weston yesterday afternoon, who told me that half an hour ago Miss Braceley had seen her in her bath-chair, and taken the handles from Tommy Luton, and pushed her twice round the green, positively running. That does not seem to me of very prime importance," said Lucia, though she was thrilled to the marrow. I do not wonder it slipped your memory, Caro. Carissima, wait a minute, that is not all. She told Mrs. Weston that she would have returned her call, but that she hadn't got any calling cards. Impossible, cried Lucia, they could have printed them at ye olde bookie shop in an afternoon. That may be so, indeed, if you say so, it is, said Peppino. Anyhow, she said she hadn't got any calling cards, and I don't see why she should lie about it. No, it is not the confession one would be likely to make, said she, unless it was true, or even if it was, she added. Anyhow, it explains why she has not been here, said Peppino. She would naturally like to do everything in order when she called on you, carissima. It would have been embarrassing if you were out and she could not hand in her card. And about Mr. Shuttleworth? asked she, in an absent voice, as if she had no real interest in her question. He has not been seen yet at all, as far as I can gather. Then shall we have no host if we drop in tomorrow night? Let us go and see, Cara, said he gaily. Apart from this matter of her call not being returned, Lucia had not as yet had any reason to suspect Olga of revolutionary designs on the throne. She had done odd things. Pushing Mrs. Weston's chair round the green was one of them. Smoking a cigarette as she came back from church on Sunday was another. But these she set down to the bohemianism and want of polish which might be expected from her upbringing. If you could call an orphan school at Brixton an upbringing at all. This terrific fact Georgie had let slip in his stern determination to know twice as much about Olga as anybody else and Lucia had treasured it. She had, in the last fortnight, labelled Olga as rather common, retaining however a certain respect for her professional career, given that that professional career was to be thrown down as a carpet for her own feet. But, after all, if Olga was a bit bohemian in her way of life, as exhibited by the absence of calling cards, Lucia was perfectly ready to overlook that, confident in the refining influence of Rhizome, and go to the informal party next day, if she felt so disposed, for no direct answer was asked for. There was considerable illumination in the windows of old place when she and Peppino set out after dinner next night to go to the silly party, kindly overlooking the informality and the absence of a return visit to her call. It had been a sloppy day of rain and, as was natural Lucia, carried some very smart indoor shoes in a paper parcel, and Peppino had his Russian galoshes on. These were immense snow boots in which his evening shoes were completely encased, but Lucia preferred not to disfigure her feet to that extent and was clad in neat walking boots which she could exchange for her smart satin footwear in the cloakroom. The resumption of walking boots when the evening was over was rather a feature among the ladies and was called the cobblers at home. The two started rather late, for it was fitting that Lucia should be the last to arrive. They had come to the door of the old place, and Peppino was fumbling in the dark for the bell, when Lucia gave a little cry of agony and put her hands over her ears, just as if she had been seized with a double earache of peculiar intensity. Gramophone, she said faintly. There could be no doubt about that, from the windows close at hand came out the excruciating strains of a very lusty instrument, and the record was that of a vulgar catchy waltz tune taken down from a brass band. All Rizom knew what her opinion about gramophones was. To the lover of Beethoven they were like indecent and profane language loudly used in a public place. Only one, so far as was known, had ever come to Rizom and that was introduced by the misguided Robert Quantock. Once he had turned it on in her presence, but the look of agony which crossed her face was such that he had to stop it immediately. Then the door was opened, and the abominable noise poured out in increased volume. Lucia paused for a moment in indecision, would it be the great the magnificent thing to go home without coming in trusting to Peppino to let it be widely known what had turned her back from the door? There was a good deal to be said for that, for it would be living up to her own high and immutable standards. On the other hand, she particularly wanted to see what standard of entertaining Olga was initiating. This silly evening was quite a new type of party, for since she had directed and controlled the social side of things, There had been no silly evenings of any kind in Rhizome, and it might be a good thing to ensure the failure of this, in case she did not like it, by setting the example of a bored and frosty face. But if she went in, the gramophone must be stopped. She would sit and wince, and Pepino must explain her feeling about gramophones. That would be a suitable exhibition of authority. Or she might tell Olga. Lucia put on her satin shoes, leaving her boots till the hour of the cobblers at home came, and, composing her face to a suitable wince, was led by a footman on tiptoe to the door of the big music-room which Georgie had spoken of. "'If you'll please step in very quietly, ma'am,' he said. The room was full of people. All Ryzen was there and since there were not nearly enough chairs, Lucia saw that at once, a large number was sitting on the floor on cushions. At the far end of the room was a slightly raised dais, to the corner of which the grand piano had been pushed. On the top of which, with its braying trumpet pointing straight at Lucia, was an immense gramophone. On the dais was Olga dancing. She was dressed in some white soft fabric shimmering with silver which left her beautiful arms bare to the shoulder. It was cut squarely and simply about the neck and hung in straight folds down to just above her ankles. She held in her hands some long shimmering scarf of brilliant red that floated and undulated as she moved, as if inspired by some life of its own that it drew out of her slim superb vitality from the cloud of shifting crimson with the slow billows of silver moving rhythmically round her body that beautiful face looked out deliciously smiling and brimming with life Lucia had hardly entered when with a final bray the gramophone came to the end of its record and Olga swept a great curtsy, threw down her scarf and stepped off the dais Georgie was sitting on the floor close to it and jumped up leading the applause for a moment Though several heads had been turned at Lucia's entrance, nobody took the slightest notice of her. Indeed, the first apparently to recognise her presence was her hostess, who just kissed her hand to her, and then continued talking to Georgie. Then Olga threaded her way through the besprinkled floor, and came up to her. "'How wise you were to miss that very poor performance,' she said. "'But Mr. Georgie insisted that I should make a fool of myself.' Indeed, I am sorry not to have been here for it, said Lucia, in her most stately manner. It seemed to me very far from being a poor performance, very far indeed. Caromio, you remember Miss Braceley?" —Sì, sí, sì, sí, molto bene, said Peppino, shaking hands. —Ah! and you talk Italian, said Olga. Che bella lingua! I wish I knew it. —You have a very good pronunciation, said Lucia. Tante grazie. You know everyone here, of course. Now, what shall we do next? Clumps or charades or what? Ah, there are some cigarettes. Won't you have one? Lucia gave a scream of dismay. A cigarette for me? That would be a very odd thing, she said. Then, relenting, as she remembered that Olga must be excused for her ignorance, she added, You see, I never smoke. Never. Oh, you should learn, said Olga. Now, let's play clumps. Does everyone know clumps? If they don't, they will find out. Or shall we dance? There's the gramophone to dance to." Lucia put up her hands in playful petition. Oh, please, no gramophone, she said. Oh, don't you like it, said Olga? It's so horrible that I adore it, as I adore dreadful creatures in an aquarium. But I think we won't dance till after supper. We'll have supper extremely soon, partly because I am dying of famine, and partly because people are sillier afterwards but just one game of clumps first. Let's see, there are but enough for four clumps. Please make four clumps, everybody, and and will you and two more go out with Mr. Georgie, Mrs. Lucas? We will be as quick as we can, and we don't think of anything that will make Mr. Georgie blush. Oh, there he is, he heard. Olga's intense enjoyment of her own party was rapidly galvanising everybody into a much keener gaiety than was at all usual in Rysolm where, as a rule, the hostess was somewhat anxious and watchful, fearing that her guests were not amusing themselves, and that the sandwiches would give out. There was a sit-down supper when the clumps were over. Mrs Quantock had been the first to guess Beethoven's little toe on his right foot, which made Lucia wince. And there were not enough men and maids to wait, and so people foraged for themselves and Olga paraded up and down the room with a bottle of champagne in one hand and a dish of lobster salad in the other. She sat for a minute or two first at one table and then at another, and asked silly riddles, and sent to the kitchen for a ham, and put out all the electric light by mistake, when she meant to turn on some more. Then, when supper was over, they all took their seats back into the music-room and played musical chairs, at the end of which Mrs. Quantock was left in with Olga and it was believed that she said damn when Mrs Quanton won. Georgie was in charge of the gramophone which supplied deadly music, quite forgetting that this was agony to Lucia, and not even being aware when she made a sign to Peppino and went away having a cobblers at home all to herself. Nobody noticed when Saturday ended and Sunday began, for Georgie and Colonel Boucher were cock-fighting on the floor, Georgie screaming out, How tarsome! when he was upset, and Colonel Boucher very red in the face, saying, Poor Ham! never thought I should romp again like this. By Jove, most amusing! Georgie was the last to leave, and did not notice till he was half-way home, that he had a ham-frill adorning his shirt-front. He hoped that it had been Olga who put it there, when he had to walk blindfold across the floor, and try to keep in a straight line. Bryson got up rather late next morning, and had to hurry over its breakfast in order to be in time for church. There was a slight feeling of reaction abroad, and a sense of having been young and amused, and of waking now to the fact of church bells and middle-age. Colonel Boucher, singing the bass of A Few More Years Shall Roll, felt his mind instinctively wandering to the cock-fight the evening before and depressedly recollecting that a considerable number of years had rolled already. Mrs. Weston, with her bath-chair in the aisle, and Tommy Luton to hand her hymn-book and prayer-book as she required, looked sideways at Mrs. Quantock, and thought how strange it was that Daisy, so few hours ago, had been racing round a solitary chair with Georgie's finger on the gramophone, while Georgie, singing tenor by Colonel Boucher's ample side, saw with keen annoyance that there was a stain of tarnished silver on his forefinger, accounted for by the fact that after breakfast he had been cleaning the frame which held the photograph of Olga Braceley, and had been astonished to hear the church bells beginning. Another conducement to depression on his part was the fact that he was lunching with Lucia, and he could not imagine what Lucia's attitude would be towards the party last night. She had come to church rather late, having no use for the general confession, and sang with stony fervour. She wore her usual church face, from which nothing whatever could be gathered. A great many stealthy glances right and left from everybody failed to reveal the presence of their hostess of last night. Georgie in particular was sorry for this. He would have liked her to show that capacity for respectable seriousness, which her presence at church that morning would have implied while Lucia in particular was glad of this, for it confirmed her view that Miss Braceley was not, nor could ever be, a true rhizomite. She had thought as much last night, and had said so to Peppino. She proposed to say the same to Georgie to-day. Then came a stupefying surprise, as Mr. Rumbold walked from his stall to the pulpit with a sermon. Generally he gave out the number of the short anthem which accompanied this manoeuvre, but today he made no such announcement. A discreet curtain hid the organist from the congregation and veiled his gymnastics with the stops and his antic dancing on the pedals, and now when Mr. Rumbold moved from his stall, there came from the organ the short introduction to Bach's Mein Glaubiger Herz, which even Lucia had allowed to be nearly equal to Beethoven. And then came the voice. The reaction after the romp last night went out like a snuff candle at this divine singing, which was charged with the joyfulness of some heavenly child. It grew low and soft, it rang out again, it lingered and tarried, it quickened into the ultimate triumph. No singing could have been simpler, but that simplicity could only have sprung from the highest art. But now the art was wholly unconscious, it was part of the singer who but praised God as the thrushes do. She, who had made gaiety last night, made worship this morning. As they sat down for the discourse, Colonel Boucher discreetly whispered to Georgie, By Jove! and Georgie, rather more audibly, answered, Adorable! Mrs. Weston drew a half-crown from her purse, instead of her usual shilling, to be ready for the offertory, and Mrs. Quantock wondered if she was too old to learn to sing. Giorgi found Lucia very full of talk that day at luncheon, and was markedly more Italian than usual. Indeed, she put down an Italian grammar when he entered the drawing-room, and covered it up with the essays of Antonio Caporelli. This possibly had some connection with the fact that she had encouraged Olga last night with regard to her pronunciation. Ben arrivato, Giorgio, she said. Ho finito il libro di Antonio Caporelli, mimento me è mento. Georgie thought she had finished it long ago, but perhaps he was mistaken. The sentence flew off Lucia's tongue as if it was perched there, all quite ready. Sono un poco fatigato dopo il— Dear me, how rusty I am getting in Italian, for I can't remember the word, she went on. Anyhow, I'm a little tired after last night. A delightful little party, was it not? It was clever of Miss Braceley to get so many people together at so short a notice. Once in a while that sort of romp is very well. I enjoyed it quite enormously," said Georgie. "'I saw you did, Cattivo ragazzo,' said she. You quite forgot about your poor Lucia and her horror of that dreadful gramophone. I had to exert all the calmness that yoga has given me not to scream. But you were naughty with the gramophone over those musical chairs—unmusical chairs, as I said to Peppino, didn't I, Cara, taking it off and putting it on again so suddenly. Each time I thought it was the end e pronta la colazione. Andiamo. Presently they were seated. The menu, an unusual thing in itself at luncheon, was written in Italian, the scribe being clearly Lucia. I shall want a lot of Giorgino's tempo this week, she said, for Peppino and I have quite settled we must give a little after-dinner party next Saturday, and I want you to help me to arrange some impromptu tableau. Everything impromptu must just be sketched out first, and I dare say Miss Braceley worked a great deal at her dance last night, and I wish I had seen more of it. She was a little awkward in the management of her draperies, I thought, but I dare say she does not know much about dancing. Still, it was very graceful and effective for an amateur, and she carries it off very well." "'Oh, but she's not quite an amateur,' said Georgie. "'She has played in Salome.' Lucia pursed her lips. Indeed, I am sorry she played in that, she said. With her undoubtedly great gifts I should have thought she might have found a worthier object. Naturally, I have not heard it. I should be very much ashamed to have been there. But about our tableau now. Peppino thought we might open with the execution of Mary Queen of Scots. It is a dreadful thing that I have lost my pearls. He would be the executioner, and you the priest. Then I should like to have the awakening of Brunhilde. That would be lovely, said Georgie. Have you asked Miss Olga if she will? Georgina Mio, you don't quite understand, said Lucia. This party is to be for Miss Braceley. I was her guest last night, in spite of the gramophone, and indeed I hope she will find nothing in my house that jars on her as much as her gramophone jarred on me. I had a dreadful nightmare last night, didn't I, Peppino? in consequence? About the Brunhilde tableau, I thought Peppino would be Siegfried. And perhaps you could learn just fifteen or twenty bars of the music and play it while the curtain was up. You can play the same over again if it's encored. Then how about King Cafetua and The Beggar Maid? I should be with my back to the audience, and you should not turn round at all. It would be quite your tableau. We will just sketch them out, as I said, and have a grouping or two to make sure we don't get in each other's way and I will see that there are some dresses of some kind which we can just throw on. The tableau with a little music, serious music, would be quite sufficient to keep everybody interested. By this time, Georgie had got a tolerable inkling of the import of all this. It was not at present to be war, it was to be magnificent rivalry, a throwing down perhaps of a gauntlet which none would venture to pick up. To confirm this view, Lucia went on with gathering animation. I do not propose to have games, romps shall I call them, she said, for as far as I know Rizum, and perhaps I know it a little better than dear Miss Bracely, Rizom does not care for that sort of thing. It is not quite in our line. We may be right or wrong. I am not sure, I do not know, but as a matter of fact, we don't care for that sort of thing. Dear Miss Bracely did her very best last night, and I am sure she was prompted only by the most hospitable motives. But how should she know? The supper, too, Peppino counted nineteen empty champagne-bottles. — Eighteen carissima, said Peppino. I think you told me nineteen, Cara, but it makes very little difference—eighteen champagne-bottles standing on the sideboard, and no end to the caviar sandwiches which were left over. It was all too much, though there were not nearly enough chairs, and indeed I never got one at all except just at supper. Lucia leaned forward over the table with her hands clasped. There was display about it, Giorgino, and you know how I hate display, she said. Shakespeare was content with the most modest scenery for his masterpieces, and it would be a great mistake if we allowed ourselves to be carried away by mere wasteful opulence. In all the years I have lived here, and contributed in my humble way to the life of the place, I have heard no complaints about my suppers or teas nor about the quality of entertainment which I offer my guests when they are as good as to say Sì to le mie invitazione. Art is not advanced by romping, and we are able to enjoy ourselves without two hundred caviar sandwiches being left over. And such wasteful cutting of the ham, I had to slice the chunk she gave me over and over again before I could eat it. Georgie felt he could not quite let this pass. Well, I had an excellent supper, he said, and I enjoyed it very much. Besides, I saw Peppino tucking in like anything. Ask him what he thought of it. Lucia gave her silvery laugh. Georgino, you're a boy, she said artfully, and tuck in as you so vulgarly call it without thinking. I'm saying nothing against the supper, but I'm sure that Peppino and Colonel Boucher would have felt better this morning if they had been wiser last night. But that's not the real point. I want to show Miss Braceley, and I am sure she will be grateful for it, the sort of entertainment that has contented us at Ryzen for so long. I will frame it on her lines. I will ask all and sundry to drop in, with just a few hours' notice, as she did. Everything shall be good, and there shall be about it all something that I seemed to miss last night. There was a little bit, how shall I say it, a little bit of the footlights about it all, and the footlights didn't seem to me to have been extinguished at church-time this morning. The singing of that very fine aria was theatrical. I can't call it less than theatrical." She fixed Georgie with her black beady eye and smoothed her undulated hair. "'Theatrical,' she said again. Now, let us have our coffee in the music-room. Shall Lucia play a little bit of Beethoven to take out any nasty taste of gramophone?' "'Me no likey gramophone at all, never. Georgie now began to feel himself able to sympathise with that surfeited swain who thought how happy he could be with either were t'other dear charmer away. Certainly he had been very happy with Lucia all these years, before t'other dear charmer alighted in Rizum. And now he felt that should Lucia decide, as she had often so nearly decided, to spend the winter on the Riviera, Risum would still be a very pleasant place of residence he never was quite sure how seriously she had contemplated a winter on the riviera for the mere mention of it had always been enough to make him protest that wrysum could not possibly exist without her but to-day as he sat and heard rather than listened to a series of slow movements with a brief and hazardous attempt at the scherzo of the moonlight he felt that if any talk of the riviera came up he would not be quite so insistent as to the impossibility of wrysum continuing to exist without her He could, for instance, have existed perfectly well this Sunday afternoon, if Lucia had been even at Timbuktu or the Antipodes. For as he went away last night, Olga had thrown a casual intimation to him that she would be at home if he had nothing better to do and cared to drop in. Certainly he had nothing better to do, but he had something worse to do. Peppino was sitting in the window-seat with eyes closed, because he listened to music better. so and with head that nodded occasionally, presumably for the same reason. But the cessation of the slow movement naturally made him cease to listen, and he stirred and gave the sigh with which Rhizome always acknowledged the end of a slow movement. Georgie sighed too, and Lucia sighed, they all sighed, and then Lucia began again. So Peppino closed his eyes again, and Georgie continued his mental analysis of the situation. At present, so he concluded, Lucia did not mean war. She meant, as by some great armed demonstration, to exhibit the rhizome spirit in its full panoply, and then crush into dazzled submission any potential rivalry. She meant also to exert an educational influence, for she allowed that Olga had great gifts, and she meant to train and refine those gifts so that they might, when exercised under benign but autocratic supervision, conduce to the strength and splendour of Rhizome. Naturally, she must be loyally and ably assisted. And Georgie realised that the tableau of King Cofetua, his tableau, as she had said, partook of the nature of a bribe, and, if that word was insidious, of a raising of his pay. It was equally certain that this prolonged recital of slow movements, was intended to produce in his mind a vivid consciousness of the contrast between the romp last night and the present tranquil hour. And it did not fail in this respect. Lucia shut the piano-lid, and almost before they had given their sighs spoke. —I think I will have a little dinner-party first, she said. I will ask Lady Ambermere that will make us four with you, Georgie and Miss Braceley and Mr. Shuttleworth will make six. The rest I shall ask to come in at nine, for I know Lady Ambermere does not like late hours. And now shall we talk over our tableau?" So even Lucia's mind had not been wholly absorbed in Beethoven, though Georgie as usual told her she had never played so divinely. End of chapter